0: Good morning, everyone. <laughs> um, I'd say a, a quick quick prayer before I start. Um, Father, I just uh, pray that your Holy Spirit will guide me and draw alongside me as we go through your precious word this morning. And may your word um, that I'll be talking about today touch every, each and every one of us in some small way. just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... Uh, as you all know this is going to be my first sermon this morning So it's actually not going to be a sermon It's going to be a sharing <laughs> So I'm going to be sharing with you this morning <laughs> um, And I've titled the, um, the topic as Where God guides, He provides Where He leads, He feeds And um, there'll be a bit of personal testimony um, this morning as well as from others So that, that title, um, another way of looking at it is, is God's will done in God's way never lacks God's supply. God's will done in God's way never lacks God's supply. And as a fellowship, um, we have been studying Hebrews chapter 11, as Tom has just been mentioning about um, the faith chapter. And in our house group, we have been discussing um, Hebrews 11. And one thing that stood out was the first verse in Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things seen. So this, um, I brought it up in our house group, um, that the evidence sort of stood out to me because as a scientist, that's my my job, my career, is um, looking for evidence. So the definition of evidence is the available body of facts or information, indicating whether a belief or a proposition is true or valid. So the evidence of things not seen. And this was quite challenging to me, um, what that actually meant. So history, his story, is the story of God's saving presence, leading people to faith, and providing testimony, which encourages us to uh, persevere in our faith. So our testimony is our personal evidence. And further along in um, chapter 11 of Hebrews, we read about the faith of the patriarchs. And in, particularly in verse 32, uh, which I'll read out. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets. So verse, two, uh, verse 32 mentions Gideon. And why is Gideon um, mentioned with these, with these other um, very uh, godly men? So, if you'd like um, to turn with me to Judges chapter 6, um, starting at verse 11. This is the, um, one of the famous um, chapter about Gideon. Judges 6, uh, commencing at verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiziarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has this all happened to us? And where are all the miracles which our father told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the, land, the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? And he said to him, O oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Do not depart from here, I pray, until I come to you and bring out my offering And set it before you And he said I'll wait until you come back So Gideon went in And prepared a young goat And unleavened bread From from an ephah of flour The meat he put in a basket And he put the broth in a pot And he brought them out to him Under the terebinth tree And presented them The angel of God said to him Take the meat and the unleavened bread And lay them on this rock And pour out the broth And he did so Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff That was in his hand And touched the meat and the unleavened bread And the fire rose out of the rock And consumed the meat And the unleavened bread And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight Then going down further in the chapter um, to, um, To verse 36 So Gideon said to God If you will save Israel by my hand As you have said Look I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he arose early in the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowlful of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but on all the ground, let there be dew. And the God did so that night. And it was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. So from this passage, um, Gideon found that his own faith was weak and wavering. And therefore begged of God by signs to perfect what was lacking in his faith. He and his men were going to engage the Midianites, And understandably, um, he knew how serious the consequences would be if he got this message wrong for both himself and his men. So with Gideon, the real problem was with putting out the fleece is that the fleece was placed out of doubt, not faith. Putting out a fleece is not a biblical method of determining the will of God. It is a method used by people like Gideon, who lacked the faith to simply trust the word of God. Some would argue that God honoured Gideon's fleece. Some would even say that God had honoured their fleece as well. God did indeed honour Gideon's fleece, but he did it because he was still developing Gideon's faith in the Lord. He did it because he understands our human weaknesses. In Psalm 103, verse 14, he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. So god understands our weaknesses but so while god honored gideon's peace in this story it is not as well that we should determine the direction of our lives by seeking signs from god even gideon knew this was wrong and he um, that was recognized in those chapters that he knew what he was doing asking for the second sign he knew that he was doing what was wrong but we have something that gideon did not possess we have the completed word of god God's will is that we take his word, saturate our lives with his truth, and trust him to take us where he will for his glory. So how does God guide his people? How does God guide his people who have faith but want to seek the purpose um, for for their lives? The Bible tells us exactly how God leads us to know his will for our lives. And some examples, in John sixteen thirteen. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you to all truth. Yes. He will not speak on His own authority, but when, whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. God. And in Psalm 119, verse 105, Your word is a lamp to my feet, and a light to my path. In Colossians 3, chapter 3, verse 15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. And in Proverbs 11, verse 14, there is no counsel. The people fall, but in the multitude of counselors there is safety. And all these would be in agreement. So, when God guides, the leadership of the Spirit will line up with the Word of God. These two assurances will produce peace in your heart. The Spirit of God and the Word of God and the peace of God will combine to give you a desire to do what God is leading you to do. Others around you will see the hand of God in your direction. You do not need a feast to determine God's will for your life, you merely need to listen to the Lord. He will seek to you through his word, his spirit, giving you a desire for his will, and he will provide peace about doing it. So, throughout my life, um, there are certain points where I pray to God uh, on very important decisions, whether it's career, etc., asking for guidance. And um, I've always sort of sought as putting out the fleece, but actually it wasn't. It was having faith that God will do something with my life, but it's just knowing where he's going to (laughs) lead me. I wanted the the assurance that um, I was going to be following his will and not just go off on a tangent, um, looking at um, doing my own thing. So um, rather than asking him to close doors uh, as a way not to go, I was asking him to open doors in my life uh, so that I could follow his will. So as a, a word of testimony, um, as a family, we came to this fellowship um, from the right from the very first service when the chairs were facing the wrong way. Uh, That's how I remember it, and I, I couldn't even, it was so full I couldn't even get a seat. I had to stand out in the <laughs> out in the foyer. Um, so um, we've been part of the fellowship from day one, and as uh, many of you remember, um, my wife and I were working uh, shift work at Heathrow Airport. Four days on, four days off, and with um, Joshua being a, a young baby, um, I'd have four days at home, and then um, Chomwe would go for four days at work. So it was uh, quite a hard couple of years um, raising two babies uh, under that um, under the work regime. And although having the two salaries was was excellent, uh, it was quite very tiring, and certainly not the lifestyle our family wanted or um, the sort of uh, being involved in the, the fellowship was quite difficult for us at that time. So I prayed to the Lord on what steps our family needed to, t- to return to a more normal family life. The Lord opened doors um, in answer to my prayer with a, a very a few small consultancy projects. Um, and then I made the decision to quit my government job and was just having um, two weeks worth of work to go to. Um, so that's, I left my, my, my job in faith with only two weeks um, to go to Although, um, of course, Chombo was still working um, at the airport at that time So this was a step of faith to me Because I'm, uh, especially when it comes to money I'm quite, um, well, I've got Scottish ancestry So I'm quite, <laughs> I'm quite careful um, about financial planning um, but this uh, um, I took as a step, and I um, not only um, stood out in faith, but I also de- dedicated my new career to the Lord. I said, If this is your will, um, lead me through it, open doors. If it's not, close it, I'll, 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 I'll wait on you. Um, but in doing so, I, I was wanting to make sure that I dedicated my new, my new career to you, uh, to the Lord, uh, that um, it is for Him, and understood that. So throughout last year, um, God provided me uh, lots of work, um, so much so that um, my wife, Chomwe, could resign from her government job in August last year. So my last contract, um, uh, paid contract last year, was in October 2015. So Chomwe resigned in August, and my contracts were finished in August. so, But I, I didn't panic. I was still, <laughs> still praying with the Lord. So basically for the last six months, I had, I've had no paid work. Um, so during that time, I was looking at other means of supplementing my, my income. I was at home. Uh, I didn't want to watch daytime TV all day. You know, I, I just can't do that sort of thing. So I was looking at other ways that I could work from home and um, supplement my, my income, you know, like selling on eBay or, or Amazon, anything like that. Just to, to keep the, the finances coming into the household. But um, through that time, especially in the, in the beginning of this year, January, February time, I was, I was constantly being blocked. You know, anything I tried to do, mm. I, was, I was getting this, this blocking. And um, from my experiences and walk with God, I knew okay, there's something spiritually happening here, and I was wondering what it was. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I was acutely aware that our savings would run out in, within months. And then um, um, Chomboy's brother's um, wedding um, invitation came through. He was going to get married in March. So as a family, we had to make a decision whether Chomboy goes by himself, or do we take a whole family to India uh, at a large expense? So uh, I got down on my knees again, (laughs) and praise the Lord. Okay, Um, please guide me in this. Um, Am I being irresponsible for just going over uh, with the whole family? and the finances that it would entail. Um, or shall I, um, can you just reveal to me, open the door, what I should do with this big financial decision for our family? Then the following day, I was watching a Christian video and came across the saying, where God guides, he provides, where he leads, he feeds. I hadn't heard this before, so I was sort of um, struck, um, quite struck with these, these words. So I prayed that he would provide for my family, and that is where I know He's guiding me. That was my prayer. The following morning, I opened up my email, and there was a message from the team leader of our project that I applied to six months previously. And I quote the the email: "I'd like to ask you to confirm that you are still interested and available in this project, and could you ask you um, and ask you to outline your approximate availability for this year." So that was that was God's provision. Um, this project that I've totally forgotten about that I applied to about six months before boom, came into my email box um, the day after um, I was on my knees praying for, for the guidance. So based on this uh, provision um, we decided to take the family across to India um, for um, Boy's brother's wedding. and It was a fantastic experience for them meeting their cousins and aunts and um, really having a good time um, over there. And and as you know, I've just returned yesterday from the first stage of this project that this is the Caribbean project that actually I'm, I'm referring to. And the, the exciting um, fact about this, that's this little mini mission that I've just completed. The fees that will be paid for it um, will be more or less exactly the same as the airfares to India. So those airfares are now covered. <laughs> um, and um, just amazing. It's more or less exactly the same. So Um, God just confirmed in another way that um, that He was leading me um, where He wanted to me. So um, I'll just read a a few uh, verses, Matthew six, uh, Matthew chapter six, verses thirty-one to thirty-two. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, "What shall we eat? What shall we drink? And what shall we wear?" For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows. That you need them all. And Luke chapter twelve, verse twenty-four, consider the ravens that neither snow, sow or reap, they neither have storehouses or barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? So this is um, again; these verses are confirming um, the Lord's promises to me and to us. I was once reminded about the words of the wise King Solomon in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 to 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. The Bible makes it possible for us to glean God's thoughts on every major of our lives. God is an expert on human condition. He knows what we lack. He knows what we need. He knows we need His help in making important monetary decisions and keeping our financial houses in order. And as we have seen, the Bible is full of sound advice about money matters. It even cautions us not to be so concerned about them that we seriously neglect other important aspects of our lives. And this is one area that I've been really challenged, especially when I was in my 20s and 30s. I was quite concerned about um, the uh, money matters. Our dependence is to be on God and not on money. Where your treasure is, warn Christ, where your heart there your heart will be also. That's Matthew chapter six, verse twenty one. Is your heart and your treasure focused primarily on the things of this life, or is it focused on God in heaven? The scriptures teach us not to set our hearts on riches, but to help people in genuine need and generously support the work of sharing God's truth with others. Such priorities are an important part of loving our neighbours as ourselves. We should seek to live a balanced life, putting our finances into proper perspective. One of the ancients asked of God, Give me neither poverty or riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Proverbs 30, verse 8. So I'd like to um, tell you some other testimonies. um, And a lot of you will know George Muller. Um, We borrowed the book from Kim a few months ago, so (laughs) he popped into my mind. If you want to read about someone who lived his entire life by faith, read the story of this man. When George Muller first became a Christian, he felt that God was leading him to be a missionary. So he was biblically trained at the best school, had the desire to preach, and the ability to speak many languages. He was completely ready for a life of evangelism. Guess what happened? God detoured Muller and led him to open orphanages in Bristol, England. From his latter 20s to the age of 70, he took care of over 10,000 children with God's help alone. Not once in all those years did he ask for financial help from anyone other than God himself. There were days he didn't have a food to serve the children, but he never doubted that God would provide. And God did provide for them. Miracle after miracle happened at the orphanages. Unexpected food would arrive at the door just in time for meals. People came by to give a gift, and many times it was the exact amount needed to pay a bill. These things happened, not because Muller told anyone of his need, but because of God alone. I'll just quote some from some of his writings. The children are dressed and ready for school but there's no food for them to eat the house mother of the orphanage informed george muller george asked her to take the 300 children into the dining room and have them sit at the tables he thanked god for the food and waited george knew that god would provide for the children as he always did within minutes a baker knocked on the door mr muller he said last night i could not sleep somehow I knew that you would be in need of bread this morning. I got up and baked three batches for you. I'll bring it in now. Soon there was another knock at the door. It was the milkman. His cart had broken down in front of the orphanage. The milk was spoiled by the time the wheel was fixed. So he asked George if he could have some use for some free milk. George smiled at the milkman, brought in ten large cans of milk, which was just enough for the 300 thirsty children. There's another story from September 1844, and again I quote. Only one farthing was in my hands this morning. Pause a moment, dear reader. Only one farthing in the hand when the day commenced. Think of this, and think of nearly 1,400 persons to be provided for. You poor brethren who have six or eight children and small wages, think of this. And you, my brethren, who do not belong to the working classes, but have, as it's called, very limited means, Think of this, may you not do what we do under your trials. Does the Lord love you less than he loves us? Does he not love all his children with no less love than that which he loves his only begotten son? According to John seventeen twenty to 23 are we better than you? Well, let us hear then how God helped when there was only one farthing left in my hands on the morning referred to. Shortly after nine o'clock, I received a sovereign from a sister in the Lord who does not wish the name of the place where she resides mentioned. Between, 11 and 10, uh, le- uh, between ten and eleven o'clock, the bag was sent from the orphanage houses in which a note stated that nearly one pound was required for the expenses that day. Scarcely I read this when a carriage stopped before my house and a gentleman from the neighbourhood of Manchester was announced. I found that he was a believer who come to do business in Bristol. He heard about the orphan houses and expressed a surprise that without any regular system of collections and without personal application to anyone, simply by faith and prayer, I obtained more than 2,000 pounds annually for the work of the Lord in my hands. This brother, whom I had never seen before and whose name I did not even know before he came in, gave me two pounds as a um, exemplification of what It's um, stated to him In another uh, Testimony um, about George Muller's Work Charles Inglis, um, the well-known Evangelist, <coughs> relates the Following remarkable incident involving George Muller, and I quote Again from his writings When I first came to America 31 years ago I crossed the Atlantic with the captain of the Steamer, who was one of the most Devoted men I ever knew And when we were off the banks of Newfoundland, he said to me, Mr. Inglis, the last time I crossed here five weeks ago, one of the most extraordinary things happened that completely revolutionized the whole of my Christian life. Up to that time, I was one of your ordinary Christians. We had a man of God on board, George Muller of Bristol. He had been on the bridge for 22 hours, I mean I had been on the bridge for 22 hours and never left it. And then I was startled by someone tapping me on the shoulder. It was George Muller. Captain, he said, I've come to tell you that I must be in Quebec on Saturday afternoon. This was Wednesday. It's impossible, I said. Very well. If your ship can't take me to God, I will find some other means of locomotion to take me. I've never broken an engagement in 57 years. I will willingly help you, but how can I? I'm helpless. Let us go down to the charge room and pray, he said. I looked at this man and thought to myself, what lunatic asylum could this man have come from? I've never heard of such a thing. Mr. Muller, I said, do you know how dense this fog is? No, he replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God, who controls every circumstance in my life. He went down on his knees and he prayed one of the most simplest prayers. I thought to myself, that would suit a children's class, where the children were not more than eight or nine years old. The burden of the prayer was something like this. Oh Lord, if it's consistent with thy will, please remove this fog in five minutes. You know the engagement you made me in Quebec for Saturday? I believe it is your will. When he had finished, I was going to pray, but he put a hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. First he said, you do not believe God will do it. And second, I believe He has done it (laughs) and there is no need for whatever for you to go and pray about it i looked at him and george muller said to this said this captain i've known for the lord for 57 years and there's never been a single day that i've failed to gain an audience with the king get up captain and open the door and you will find the fog gone i got up and the fog was gone and on saturday afternoon george muller was in quebec So we've heard a a few testimonies of how God leads, confirming his will for us. The testimonies of George Miller revealed how he knew whether God was guiding him or leading him. George Miller waited on on the Lord. He listened and heard what God was saying to him. The Bible provides a lovely story of the value of listening and, more importantly, hearing what the Lord has in plan for our lives. So if you'd like to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel 3, and we'll be reading um, verses 1 to 19. 1 Samuel 3, verse 1. Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out In the tabernacle The Lord where the ark was And while Samuel was lying down that The Lord called Samuel And he answered Here I am So he ran to Eli and said Here I am, you call me And he said, I do not call Lie down again And he went and lay down And the Lord said again, Samuel So Samuel arose and went to Eli And said, here I am for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again. The third time he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am. You did, for you, you did call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be. If he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood and called, as other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I'll do something in Israel at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli. All that I have spoken concerning his house, from the beginning to the end, for I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall be, not be atoned for any, by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Then Eli called Samuel and said Samuel my son He answered Here I am And he said What is the word that the Lord spoke to you Please do not hide it from me God do so to you and more so And if you hide anything from me Of all these things that he said to you Then Samuel told him everything And hid nothing from him And he said It is the Lord Let him do what seems good to him So Samuel grew And the Lord was with him And let none of his words fall to the ground So with this passage um, We have the Lord waking up A a very young lad, Samuel Who in obedience to hear him When the high priest could not When did we hear The the voice of the Lord speaking to us So from this passage We learn that the word of God was rare in those days For the the Lord had no one to speak to Eli, though himself a godly man And loved by the people was weak and had no command of his own family His two sons had strayed away And his family was now under the judgment of the Lord God could, could not communicate with Israel's high priest Eli didn't listen and could not hear the Lord Are we listening to the Lord today? In Mark chapter 4 verse 9 He said to them He who has ears to hear, let him hear Listening is not hearing how tuned are we to hear what is God saying to us? So the Lord's desire to communicate intimately with each of us, as in John chapter 8, verse 43. Why, why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. We are living in the me generation, and it's very difficult to hear the Lord. This culture of brief listening, but no hearing. Our power of concentration is declining. Hearing is a skill that the Lord will have us develop as believers. This skill involves the three eyes investment, involvement and interest investment having time to develop a relationship with Him, involvement, active participation to engage with the people, the person who is speaking, and interest, a genuine desire to know the other person to hear what they have to say as oswald chambers wrote in my atmosphere for, for his highest and i quote the voice of the spirit of god is as gentle as a summer breeze so gentle that unless you are living in complete fellowship and oneness with god you will never hear it the sense of warning and restraint that the spirit gives comes to us in the most amazing gentle ways and if you are not sensitive enough Enough to detect his voice, you will quench it. Your spiritual life will be impaired. This sense of restraint will always come as a still small voice. And he quotes um, from One Kings nineteen verse twelve: "So faint that no one except a saint of God will notice it." I'll read that last sentence again. This sense of restraint will always come as a still small voice, so faint. That no one except a saint of God will notice it. At times, we may be called to prove our faithfulness by um, enduring trials and overcoming obstacles of our faith as evidence of our continued commitment to serving God. His truly converted people are designated in the scriptures as the body of Christ. And we talked about that again this morning, as in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27. And the church of the living God. 1 Timothy 3.15 God has made it clear who his real disciples are. They are first called to repentance by having their minds opened to accurately understand the teachings of the scriptures. If they respond by choosing to surrender their will to God, so his spirit can guide both their hearts and their conduct. They are chosen for salvation, to have a part in his eternal kingdom. Then all who remain loyally, obedient to him, are the true, called, chosen, and faithful people of God. So, for example, if you were to build a memorial, what would you want to remember? What would it stand for? What do you want to make sure that you don't forget? So, if your life was a memorial, um, would it be your job, your house, your salary, your accomplishments? But you're God's legacy, and your legacy is made up of the moments that made a difference for God's kingdom. The relationships that had eternal significance, and the ways you worshipped the Savior. So in closing, um, lead back to the the title of this uh, talk. What God starts, He finishes. Where God guides, He provides. And where God leads, He meets our needs. So where God guides, He provides, but He is going to test us first because there is no testimony without a test and it is our testimonies that provide the evidence of our faith okay, thank you
1: we just stay here, David. thank you so much such an encouragement you know, to hear your life and taking from the scriptures and <coughs> also teaching us from the life of others like George Muller and others the God of Muller is still around we just know, it doesn't just stay in the pages of history. And he has proved to you as a living testimony to you and your family. Let's come to the Lord and just thank the Lord for our brother David. And as we open up the pulpit to him in the future, that God will use him among us. And as he takes responsibility and willingness to serve, Not only you, you, Lord, and his family and the church. and We pray you bless him. And Lord, you're nobody's debtor. You are a great provider. Thank you, Lord, for providing for my brother in recent months. And what are you going to do again in a few weeks' time? Provide for him. And Lord, like all of us, help us to give of the substance that you give us. To bless you, first of all. So that we will have green in the storehouse, oil in our pots. And Father, thank you for teaching us today. Pray for David and the young boy and the children, Joshua and Rachel, Pumpkin. Bless them. Provide for them. And take care of them. And Lord, we pray that you will acute our brother more and more in the word of God. More and more how to divide the word of God. To hunger and thirst. To know your ways. And to bring more of his experience to the body. And to encourage and to strengthen. To have the test. Tested testimony. So thank you for feeding us through your word today, And bless him. In Jesus' name. Okay. Oh, <laughs>